Paul's letter to the Philippians was a response to their kind gifts. You'll hear me repeat that often because I just want to make sure we keep the context of this book in our minds that we don't lose sight of why Paul wrote what he wrote. It was in response to one of the kind gifts that the Philippian church sent in the hand of one of their church members named Epaphroditus. It was a long trip. If he flew Delta, it was about 605 miles as the crow flies. If he didn't catch a flight that morning, I'm guessing he didn't. If he were to take the boat around, because he would have had to go across a landmass through mountains, catch another boat across the water, and that would have been as the crow flies. No one went that direction because of how difficult the trip was. To take the boat down and around and down into the Mediterranean and back up around the boot of Italy and come around on the other side to Rome, it was more um, like 1,700 miles by boat. This was not an easy trip. Imagine if we were going to send a gift to someone and I asked, would there be any volunteers who would be willing to take time off work, who would be willing to travel by boat, you know, and, and risk COVID-19 or whatever is going on at that point in the world? How long would that take? We know, and we'll study this a little bit later, we know that Epaphroditus did get very sick. In fact, he got so sick he was near death. But, of course, cell connections weren't good that day, and they really did not know what was happening with Epaphroditus. They just know he didn't return. Epaphroditus, being the representative of the Philippian church, came and welcomed Paul and gave him all, this, all these gifts, but then Epaphroditus got him caught up on all the local news of what was happening in the Philippian church. Remember the Philippian church? was where Paul met Lydia by the river. The Philippian church was the one that was started after the Paul and Silas had been beaten, were put in jail, and there was the earthquake which shook the jail, and then um, the jailer came to know the Lord as his savior, and the jailer's household came to know the Lord as a savior. It was in this same area where that girl who was demon-possessed was being used for fortunes. This is that same area. Just so you're connecting the book of Acts, the early church, with this book of Philippians. As... Paul is listening to Epaphroditus, and he's hearing the news of the church. Epaphroditus' news brought reality to Paul's memories. God has blessed us with a wonderful way that we remember things, and the pain, the difficulty, the rawness of what we have experienced often is diminished. And the good things are remembered. It's a wonderful characteristic of our Lord. But so Paul is in jail and he's, here's this gift comes and 
He's just thinking all these wonderful thoughts about them. And Epaphroditus says, well, here's what's going on in the church. And Paul says, well, what about so-and-so? What about these two ladies? What about this? What about that? And as Paul begins to answer the questions, as, as Epaphroditus begins to answer the questions, Paul begins to realize they're going through difficult times. You see, pressure brings to the surface what is not always usually visible. Pressure allows you to see what's really inside you. Now, I have a small tube of what looks like toothpaste. Now, let me ask you a question. If I squeeze this, what is going to come out? Some of you immediately will say, toothpaste. Others of you will say, because you're asking us what's inside here, it's not toothpaste. It is icing. Others of you are not quite certain now. Now you've got doubts as for what really I might have put inside this tube. And you want to know the answer? The answer is whatever was inside. You say, you didn't tell me what was in there. What I want you to notice is, you see what comes out. In fact, I'll leave this up here. What comes out is what's inside. I can't squeeze anything out of that tube. No matter how much pressure I put on it, I can't squeeze anything out of that tube that's not there. The Philippians were experiencing pressure from multiple areas. Paul, in this thank you note, kindly addresses what was probably just under the surface. I don't know for certain today what pressure you're feeling. But I would encourage you to do this. Rather than either being totally discouraged or being euphoric because you didn't explode this time, I would encourage you to do this. Stop this morning and look and see what you observe is coming out when you're under pressure. And then learn from what you see. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, we don't know exactly why Paul would begin with this statement. I thank God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even, it's, even it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. All of a sudden we begin thinking, why did Paul write that? Is it possible that as they had sent regular gifts, they felt they and their gifts were underappreciated? We don't know. We know it's possible that they felt that God had made a mistake or had somehow failed them by allowing God, by allowing Paul to be in jail. We know that as we read verses 12 and 13. 
We know they were angry at people who made life difficult for Paul as they preached the gospel with wrong motives, verses 14 through 18. We know that they were distracted from their primary purpose of living in Philippi because of verses 27 through 30. We know that they had become critical of what other Christians did, chapter 2, verses 27 through 30. We know that they were being drawn back into the idea that faith and works was important for true salvation. We know that they had become confused about what was really valuable for a believer, according to chapter 3, verses 4 through 10. We know that they were looking up to popular leaders who did not reflect the values of Christ. We know that there were church members who had an ongoing battle as for who was going to have the last say, who was going to be the most important. And Paul heard of their daily struggles and wanted them to enjoy serving the Lord in the middle of difficult circumstances. You see, just because we go to church doesn't mean that we're not going to be experiencing some of these pressures, some of these problems, and each of these different people, as they were getting squeezed, stuff was coming out of their lives. And you notice Paul's response? Paul didn't come in and just start clearing everybody out and calling everybody by name and being harsh. Paul saw what was coming out of the tube, and he began helping them correct their thinking so that they could have joy again. That's the whole point this morning, what God wants to do in our lives. God loves you. God's design for you is good. Now, possibly some Christians have put pressure on you, and if maybe you've begun to get a skewed view of God, but I want you to see this morning, first of all, God wants you to enjoy this life. He has you here on purpose. But don't mistake when I say God has you here to enjoy life. Don't mistake that with being a trouble-free life. Your life will not be trouble-free until Jesus comes back, until Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, and all the wickedness is cast into the lake of fire, and we live forever in perfection. That's when we'll never have problems again. Until then, God wants us to know how to live in this world. In chapter 1, Paul addresses the mindset about circumstances. Now, let me just give you a phrase that's really going to be important. You may want to just jot it down, and that way you can keep rehearsing in your mind as you consider each chapter of Philippians. Paul is addressing the importance of your mind to the mission. The way you think about accomplishing your goal. Mind impacts mission. Chapter 1, 
Paul addresses how your mindset impacts is um, your mind in regard to your circumstances. You see, he's going to challenge them. He says, use your circumstances to accomplish your mission. Don't allow circumstances to distract you from your mission. Use everything for eternal benefit, even while sinful people are trying to hurt you. Use your circumstances for the furtherance of God's message. Focus on your mission and look at your circumstances in regard to what your mission is. Imagine, Satan thought he had, saw, he had Paul totally defeated. I'm going to keep Paul from doing what Paul wants to do, and I'm going to put Paul in prison. And what happens? Paul takes the circumstances of being chained to soldiers, and he evangelizes the palace of Caesar. What a quandary Satan is in. If I imprison him, he leads the jail and the palace guard to Christ. If I let him loose, he wins the continent to God. If I put him in jail, he's got time. He writes letters. And those letters are impacting us 2,000 years later. And Paul, wanting the Philippian people no longer to be bitter, says, I wish you could understand that the things that have happened unto me are for good. They're happening for the furtherance of the gospel. And I wish you could understand that I'm not fighting people who maybe have some edge on trying to keep me in prison so that they can be elevated and they can have a place of prominence because Paul says it really doesn't matter to me as long as the gospel's going forward. My position doesn't matter. You see, when you have the right attitude, when you have the right mindset, it is going to be liberating and that's what we're going to be studying today. Paul was reminding them, as their pressures started coming and as Paul saw what was coming out of that tube, Paul said, oh, you need to understand something. Don't let your pressures keep you from doing what you're in Philippi to do. So verses 27 through 30, he's just saying, focus, focus on the mission. Use your circumstances, whatever those circumstances are. You can't control your circumstances. You can only control what you do with your circumstances. I don't know what you're in the middle of this week. You may be in the middle of something that really is uncomfortable for you. The key is not the circumstances. The key is your mission and what will you do with what's been put before you? It's not a very spiritual illustration, but it's kind of the MacGyver principle. No matter what you're in the middle of, what does MacGyver do? He takes whatever's around him and uses it for good, right? The circumstance wasn't good, but he uses whatever he has to accomplish the mission. In Christians, you can't control your circumstances. Now we come to chapter 2, and notice Paul begins by addressing the right mindset concerning your role in the mission. Because you see, you're not the point. You're not the most important thing. 
I'm not the most important thing. What's really important is the mission. So let's look at chapter 2. Paul had already mentioned there was a spirit of rivalry, not camaraderie, but rivalry in Rome. The Christians in Rome were already feeling the pressure of Paul's coming, and now they weren't viewed as so important. Do, do Christians ever compete to see who's going to be the most important, who's going to have the name recognition? Does that ever happen? As a child growing up, I've mentioned to you, my dad was a pastor. And as he didn't plant the church, but there were about 40 people that were in the church when my dad came to Indianapolis. Well, over the years, we began seeing there were a number of areas, homes, where children were not able to get to church. So we bought a bus or two buses, and we began inviting people that needed rides to come to church. And that really went well for a while, and all of a sudden, no one came anymore. And as we went back and visited, you know what was happening? Another church came in a half an hour before us and began saying, if you'll ride our bus, you will, we'll give you these things. Now, what do you think should be the right response? My dad said, great. Thank you. You guys handle the bus ministry. And we changed the focus of our ministry that really set the pace for what was a blessing in our church, and those children still got their needs met. <laughs> you see, the point was, are people getting the gospel? The point was not what name was on the side of the bus that brought them to the church. What's the point? Complete the mission. What's my role in the mission? Cindy and I were talking about this. God has had me in a number of different roles in my adult life. The hardest role change for Cindy was when I went from pastoring a larger church to becoming a bus driver for college kids. I genuinely was okay with it. I got to witness every day. I got to meet new college kids. That was a really difficult pill for Cindy to swallow. Why? You're a pastor. You've been a pastor for 35 years. You have shepherded large groups of people. You've, you've been in smaller groups of people. And you're a bus driver. Sure. The goal was, what is my role... And accomplishing the mission. Chapter 2, that's what he addresses. Let's look again at chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, before we begin our exposition, consider this key idea. God has equipped you so that you can serve joyfully. God's equipped you to do what you need to do. Look at Paul's exhortation, beginning at verse 1, but verses 1 through 4. There are four things that we have in Christ which allows us to say, my job is to find out what God has me to do and to do that mission. And what God has you to do may change. He may have you doing this right now. Your mission may change. The operation may, he may have you in a different role at different times. That's okay. The goal is understanding your role, your position in the mission. He begins by saying, if there is any consolation in Christ. Interesting, in Luke chapter 2, do you remember where Jesus is called the consolation of Israel? Literally, it is the sure hope, the sure confidence, the encouragement. He's saying... When he uses the word if, it has the idea of since, and he's going he's to build. He's going to say, you've got these four things. He says, since there is a, you have this sure hope. Sure hope. It's important that you kind of think about what that means to be sure, to have a guaranteed hope. Years ago, when I was working on a retirement plan, in passing, the man said, well, this has a guaranteed rate of, of payback at 3%. Well, I laughed because I thought, if I'm only getting 3% on my money, I'm in serious trouble. But you know, a few years ago, all the investments tanked heavily. And some of them were making nothing. And I started looking at my guarantee and every time I would get my statement, you know what? I was still at least getting 3%. Now, if it went above it, I always was earning more, but I never would earn less. What was the point? It was a guaranteed, sure thing. Now, he says, you need to understand something. You have a guaranteed, sure thing. You have a consolation in Christ. You have that connection. It is not based on anything else. It is not based on performance. You know how some things will say, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future benefits that you're going to get. Usually they'll rattle something off like that. But the reality is there is a guarantee. You have a sure hope in Christ. You are already in the inner circle. He says, if... Since there is comfort of love. You are loved, but you are secure. Not only are you in the inner circle, but you will never be out of the inner circle. You don't have to prove yourself. 
You see, the weight begins falling off of our shoulders when we begin realizing, I have a sure comfort. I have a sure consolation. I have one who is always dependable. That is Jesus Christ. And I have a secure salvation. I have a sure comfort of love. And I have the fellowship of the Spirit. It's both fellowship with the Spirit and fellowship that the Spirit brings. So no matter where you are, he says, you, you have this sure relationship with Jesus Christ. You have this secure relationship that will never change. You have the fellowship of being in that inner circle to where you're in the ones that are mixing. Probably all of us, unless you were just incredibly popular and good-looking, probably all of us have been in a situation where we walked into a room and we felt a little uncomfortable because we felt out of our element. And no one would talk with us. I know some of you are going, I never felt that way. What are you talking about? Well, take it from someone like me. There are times I would walk into a room and it was like I really felt like I was invisible and no one really wanted to talk with me and no one really, I felt like I was in significant and then a friend walks up and we begin talking this party's okay this event is all right you see what he's doing for us he says you need to understand you have a sure hope Jesus is on your side you have a secure hope a, a partnership, you have this comfort of security, you have this fellowship of the Spirit, you're not alone, you're not going to go through this alone. There's never a time when you're going to go through whatever God's got you assigned to do alone. And then he talks about bowels and mercies, and we have no idea what that means. Thanks, Luke. Bowels and mercies has the idea of tenderness and sympathy. Do you know you're not forgotten in the middle of your mission? Do you ever feel like you're forgotten? You were sent to do something and no one came to help you? And Paul says, oh, you need to understand, you're not forgotten in the middle of your mission. There is tenderness and sympathy for what you're going through. Now he's given these four things and then he says, you have four things in common. Now let's, let's go to verse three first, the first part of verse three so that we can see the comparison because he's gonna take um, the end of verse two all the way through verse four, but there's a little slice in there. He says in verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. He says, look, he says on the mission, don't fight with each other and don't try to one-up each other so that everyone looks at you and says, there's, there's the important one. We're all going to have different parts in this mission. But who's the most important? Look in a church. The temptation is to say the person that's up in front is the person that's most important, and the answer is that's not true. Who's most important? people that greet you at the door or the person who's preaching. It's all part of the same thing. Who's more important, the pastor or the bus driver? 
It's all the same thing. What's your mission? You see, we all have the same mission. And Paul saw what was happening in the church. And you notice how kindly he goes about this. Finally, in chapter 4, you're going to see he'll mention these two ladies. But until that point, he's saying, let me, let me help you to understand. Because Satan wants you to think you need to, be, you need to be the visible one. You need to be the most important one. You need to. And so he says, look, he says, put away strife and vainglory trying to be the one that is most noticed. And he says, get rid of the selfish service and focus on the same goal. Now in, in verses two, three, and four, he's gonna pile on words so that you're getting the same idea. Don't, don't stress over parsing every word here, although we will for just a moment. But the thing is, when you put the whole, all these words together, you've got a pile of the same thing, and that is this, he says, he says, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded. The idea here is wise-minded, thinking the right things. He says, having the same love. What kind of love? A selfless love, a love that is agape love, which means you aren't looking to get something back. He says, with one accord, united in purpose, with one mind, united in goal. Are you, you, you picking up how... All these words just kind of pile together. And he says, stay focused. You're on the same team. Now, I've, I've played with some guys on my team. I didn't like to be on their team because they didn't think team. All they thought about was themselves. Well, it doesn't just happen in soccer. It happens in every group. And Paul says, stay focused, have the same mind, and have the same care. Look at the end of verse 3 and then verse 4. He says, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other or raise others better than themselves. Above is the word there, where to esteem, it means to above. Let each above others than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What's he saying? Think about others. Have care for others. And about this time, if you're just thinking normal, everyday thinking, you're thinking, he's nuts. He's crazy. Nobody does that. The person that thinks this way is always on the bottom. That's the reason why he begins with those four principles that are so important, where he talks about the consolation in Christ, the comfort of being secure, that we are in the circle, that we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us fellowship one with another. We will be connected. You all have made Cindy and I feel so welcome here. We love to get together with you. I can honestly tell you we think about you. Well, how does that happen when someone comes from a completely different place and comes here? Because we have the fellowship of the Spirit. So he says, as you're, as you're considering the mission and you're considering your role in the mission, he says, have the mindset that it's not about me, it's about the mission. 
And he gives us the first illustration of three in chapter two. We're only going to look at one this morning, and that is at, at the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, this is like the slam dunk, but then usually people would say, well, obviously Jesus could do that because he's God. And so then he gives the illustrations of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and we'll see that at the end of the chapter in another week or so. But notice what he says here. He says, so here's the kind of mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And our ears perk up and says, what was the mind of Jesus? He focused on the mission rather than the pain of the mission. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Imagine this demotion. He was God. He is God. He's in heaven and he's going to come to earth and limit himself by being in a physical body? Whoa, talk about a step down. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us as we are setting aside things in this world, he says, look at Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, see the joy that's back again? Who for the joy that was set before him? What was the joy? The joy was the success of the mission. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And then the writer of Hebrews says, consider yourselves. You haven't, you haven't come to the point of giving your blood. Do you see what Jesus was doing here for us? Jesus said, my place, my part in this mission is to die on the cross. Remember how often did Jesus say, my time has not yet come? What was he come to do? Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And what did it take to accomplish that mission? Well, it took being willing to just be under. And so Paul says, look, have the same mind that Jesus had. Accept what's needed to accomplish the job with joy. Now look at the reward, verses 9 through 11. Look what God did. We would say when a person humbles himself, you've just lost all opportunity to be exalted. What, what happened with Jesus? Wherefore God, when he humbled himself and became obedient, even the death of the cross, God highly exalted him. You see, having the low position is not a bad position. It's just the position that's needed to accomplish the mission. God highly exalted him. What does 1 Peter 5 tell us in the same way? If you exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Paul's not saying we will be like Christ, but that Christ set the pattern for successful service. There's nothing too small for a believer to accomplish the mission. 
I love what I do. But this may not always be my mission. Well, my mission won't change. This might not always be the role that God has me playing. I don't know. I know he always gives me a love for whatever he asks me to do. He's too kind to make me do something that I hate. But I do sometimes have to make sure that I focus on the mission and not my circumstances. Philippians teaches that success of your mission is going to be based on your mindset. What's your mindset about your circumstances right now? Use your circumstances to accomplish your mission. What do you have? Do you have a Swiss Army knife? Chewing gum? An oxygen tank? Whatever it takes. Use those to accomplish the mission. Don't get sidetracked with your circumstances. Is it possible today some of you have become sidetracked with your circumstances? If you have, don't feel beat up today. Understand, this is Satan's trick. This is the way he always works. And the goal is, put the puck in the net. Let the heathen rage, right? Remember the hockey illustration from a couple weeks ago? Just put the puck in the net. You're going to get bumped around. You're going to get pushed in the glass. It's going to happen. So what do you do? Well, if you're smart and you learn how to use the circumstances to turn to accomplish the goal, that's not bad at all. Yeah, you come out bruised. But the point wasn't to not get bruised. The point was put the puck in the net. And it's not just one player on the ice, is it? It's all the different players who are doing different things, and sometimes they're shifting positions. Don't allow circumstances to distract you from your mission. Use everything for eternal benefit, even while people are mistreating you. So what's the right mindset about one's role in the mission? Shift your mindset from yourself to others. Think about others. Fulfill your part. In jail, Paul sees new people to witness to that he didn't get to meet before. In jail, Paul had time to write letters he didn't have time to write. Out of jail, Paul had time to evangelize a continent. Circumstances? They were tools. His role? You know, if it didn't matter to Paul, if he was the evangelist out speaking, or if he was in the jail as a prisoner, it was okay then, wasn't it? Do you see the mind change? Jesus in heaven, on earth, What's your goal today? I think we have to address that. What is your purpose? What's your goal? And then I ask you this question, what are you willing to do to accomplish that goal?